This is a special preview episode of the Downton Abbey TV Club for Season 6. To hear us talk about the rest of the season, sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash downton. Hello and welcome to the Slate Plus TV Club for Downton Abbey Season 6. I'm June Thomas. I'm here with Lord Stumpy Stevenson, a.k.a. Seth, to discuss episode three. Hey, hey Seth. Hello, Shrimpy. Hello. Were you drinking at luncheon? Just a few cocktails, which are perfectly acceptable these days. Just a tipple. Yes. Let's begin first, though, with not exactly corrections, but just a few... Amplifications. Amplifications. Clarifications. Clarifications. When we predicted that the... Downstairs Wedding was going to happen in episode eight. We were just five episodes off, but it was just a prediction. We were wrong. I also referred in the first two episodes of our podcast to Lord Merlin when I was referring to, of course, Lord Merton. He'd be better named Merlin, he I feel like. You know, he it's really could. Name. Yeah, he's got a bit of a Merlin to him. And sort of a literary allusion, of course, to the, to the magician Merlin. Of course. Which he is like to me, a yes. magician, in, yes. the, in the way that he can handle Cousin Isabel's emotions. Absolutely. Absolutely. I so agree. And then the other thing was, well, again, not really so much of a, a correction, but just a sort of thing that I'm questioning. Last week, we were so certain that Robert and Cora had very clear plans for Yew Tree Farm, that Mr. Mason was going in the lickety-split. Mm. No, it looks like Cora is not so sure. The, and there's a certain awkwardness around people jumping to that conclusion. Yes, what seemed to be a simple game of chess mm-hmm. has turned into 12-dimensional chess Ooh. with many uh, desires and uh, balancings of powers uh, going on. In, in, and so I, I don't even fully understand what the debate is, June. Maybe you could explain no. it to me while you explain it to our listeners. What's what's the problem? It seems so. It seems to make so much sense just to install the nice farmer, Mr. Mason, in there. A friend of the family. Make Daisy so happy. Scullery made Ma- Daisy yeah, <laughs> so exactly. happy. Make Mr. Mason happy. And, and he deserves it, doesn't he? And he would take great care of the fat stock. Everyone exactly. seems to agree. Everyone agrees. But maybe it's that Cora, she, we saw this week that she doesn't like to be... I don't know, that for people to make assumptions about what she wants and what she's going to go along with. Mm. And so I think maybe she's just kind of asserting herself because she has been a little bit of a, like she's she's a little bit in the background. I still get a little lump in my throat when I think of what happened in the first season. But since then, she's, I don't know, she's a little bit, I don't know, just weak or... Right. They're making her a more defined character. For a yeah. long time, she's sort of been go along, get along, and the person who would plead for reason and plead to, for everybody to mellow out. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, you know, she she is. She's taking offense a little bit to people just working their agendas, you mm-hmm. know, around her. And, and she's she's got some thoughts of her own that she's going to share with us all. Exactly. Much like Edith. Times are changing. Jim. Times are changing. Okay. Who are we going to begin with in the Merry March of Change? I would say the big uh, procedural element, if you will, of this episode um, was the Carson and Hughes wedding. Now right. the, we can call it the Carson and Carson wedding. Exactly. Carson uh, squared. <laughs> Charles and Elsie, we could call them also. Also. Uh, yeah. And, the, and we wrapped that. And we, we had thought that they might drag this wedding out for the entire season and we end with like a Christmas wedding with Charles and Elsie and the snow falling on Downton and blah, blah, blah. But it didn't. They just got it. They got it right out of the way. Yeah. And it was lovely. But they, it. 
it sort of, I felt, got a little bit short shrift. A little bit short shrift after all those delightful back and forth and how romantic it was at the end of last season with the proposal. Mm-hmm. And then here it is. And then, boom, just taking care. And we get, we get a little bit. We get a glimpse of, uh, you know, with my body, IV worship. <laughs> Which Absolutely. I mean, that's little blushes there. Yeah, and and that was great. But and then we were we got into the schoolhouse, but we didn't really see the fun right. dinner because because it was interrupted by that by Branson coming back no. and suddenly oh the attention's back upstairs again. Exactly, it's Carson and Hughes trying to make it their day, get out of the house, get out of the great hall, go to the schoolhouse and make it their own thing. And it's about the people that they're friends with and they have relationships with. Oh, and here's Branson waltzing in with Sibby, and oh look, the, the rich family is going to all take the attention on exactly. them and. Everyone needs to applaud and be so happy and put the spotlight back on little Princess Sibby again. Exactly. I mean, I like I can't say anything bad about Sibby. But no, come give Donk a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're absolutely right. It was it was very very selfish of Branson to pull the spotlight onto himself when it was Elsie and Charles's day. Yes, it was their day. Couldn't he have waited? Just take the take the next ship out of Boston. <laughs> <laughs> Or just take a nap, maybe. To, I know that, realize that jet lag may not have been quite so uh, severe when you take a, you know, two week passage. But still, mm. I guess he wanted to be there to honor them and to congratulate them on their wedding, and that's a sweet thought. But I, I feel like he didn't take into account how much he would shift the focus to himself. Or maybe it's just you know that the show had gone on instead of instead of rolling credits at that point. If they exactly. all sat down and regathered themselves, I guess it would have been a nice day after a while. But I would have liked to have seen them at the tables, joyous and merry. Right, and in fact, because. What that meant was that the two things that we did see of their wedding were both weird and annoying. We saw the two strange ghost children who led them down the aisle after they'd been, you know, joined together. And then we also heard bagpipes, the devil's instrument, Mm. uh, which I realize is, you know, a nod to Elsie's homeland. But, oh, my goodness. All the wedding planning was a little bit rushed and last minute, and I felt it was not respectful of, of Mrs. Hughes and her dignity and how wonderful she is. And, you know, here they are ordering frocks at the last minute. Exactly. Some, you know, Michigas with sneaking into Lady Cora's bedroom to try on coats. It, it, the whole thing was beneath yeah. Yeah. beneath um, the, 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 the beauteous thing that is the Carson Hughes, the Carson and Carson In romance. The, I know. Elsie Hughes is a thing of the past now. She's just nay Elsie Hughes. <laughs> I agree. The thing with the with the dress and the clothes that what she was going to wear was an insult to her organizational skills, which if we know anything about Elsie Hughes, Mrs. Hughes, the keeper of this great house who runs a, you know, a ship that has many moving parts and she can't even figure out what to wear on her own wedding. I suppose. Uh, although that is, you know, sort of a classic trope, right? The person who can regiment everyone else, and yet no. their own life is a shambles. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's as if they're, pretty, they're trying to control other things in order to make up the deficit of control over their own. Although it's hard to picture Elsie being out of control. That's true. It's true. I, I don't know. Yeah, the, the whole the brown dress, it just felt it was kind of an uh, – it was putting attention on her lack of pulchritude, which, again, Pizzazz. I reject. Yeah. Mm. It's true. She doesn't have the biggest sparkle, you know, and even a brooch from upstairs. Lady Mary's brooch is not going to lend that to her. But, yeah, it all felt a little bit, I don't know, unfair. Mm. Can we talk about you mentioned Lady Mary's brooch? And Lady Mary was such a pill, I felt, this entire episode. Like, you know, here's uh, Mrs. Hughes and everyone downstairs is trying to make her look good. And Larry's like, oh, maybe I can lend her a brooch, I guess. Like, if you just Mm. get grab something out of the box. It's like it's not like I want to pick one out for her that's going to be just right. Or, or, you know, do more than maybe just give her like a pin, you know, maybe do a little bit more. Put yourself out a little bit further than that. Maybe go to town, buy a nice frock. I don't know, something. But I just like all of it. She did do something, though. She 
she gave uh, the servants permission, which she didn't have any right to give, to go fingering through Lady Mary's closet. That's true. You're right. In the end, she did pull through, but but she did but it, it against, was a disaster. quite selfishly and exactly. without consulting anyone else. Exactly. Um, and then she was a bit of a pill in terms of the schoolhouse and Carson. She was so snobby. Exactly. And, and well, she knows that Carson, you know, would forgive her even if she attacked him with a brick, exactly. as, as Mrs. Hughes pointed exactly. out. Well, what, what was the phrase? You think I'm a bully and I think you're a snob. And I just thought, well, actually, I think you're both a snob and a bully. Mm. So, no, it's not either or. You're all both. She is. She is. And, and, and her expression when, when Edith came in and showed off her new magazine she worked all night to do by herself. And she's so excited and proud and everyone else is proud. And then Mary just kind of smiles and nods. Mm-hmm. So resentful. Exactly. She, I didn't really feel that she, too, was, was, uh, was wearing the streamers of success no. that, that Robert called for. Can I, can, can I ask, a, uh, can we make a prediction, maybe? Do we think that Mary and Branson maybe, after all, get together? And, and could that be a thing? Something about the way they looked at each other when Branson returns to the wedding. Something makes too much sense to me that they would. And I, I just, you know, and when, when we saw them live, we had we had a yes. PBS event, we saw them live. And I felt that those two actors had a lot of chemistry. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I wondered if it's because they, they had been playing you know, some kind of romance. Right. Now, see, uh, this is where, even though we are uh, sequestered in the Grand Hotel in Liverpool, that I feel like I have, at the corner of my eye, I've seen something. Mm. Like, I know that Matthew Good, who was in The Good Wife uh, and many other toffee British uh, productions, is in it this season. And I have to think that given that he is Mary's type, which is to say tall, dark, and toffee, Mm. that maybe that's going to be the match that is for Mary. Or maybe he's going to be the obstacle for Branson. Maybe or, he's going to be another of Mary's suitors fed to the mill in the long process. Something just came into my head. I wonder if he's for Thomas. How magnificent would oh, that be? There we go. There we go. Well, it, so Tom, let's, let's talk about Thomas yeah. for a moment. Yeah. What did we make of Thomas going to the Grand? I mean, at first, I thought Thomas was going to scheme to, to you know, put himself in the man's will. The right. man seemed to have no heirs, and he's right. all alone. I thought, well, here's an opportunity for yeah. Thomas to scheme his way into a grand house. Not that he could really upkeep that house, but like he could make himself the heir. He could take care of this man until this man's imminent death. Right. And, and then he could have the house for himself. I thought that's where we were going with that. But then he was so snobby. And, and Or do you, do you think that he was snobby about the fact that the house was not up to his standards? Or was it that he, he had a revelation where he recognized the end of this way of life and it's just this is where we are all headed and he sort of saw the future. He saw the, the ghost of Downton Future yeah. and, said, and started to think about a different exit strategy. I'm not really sure. You know, I found that, that whole scene very confusing. I think of the options you've offered is the last one, that it's like it is a vision, it's a premonition of what's to come for even some place like Downton, that it hasn't been quite so unfortunate. I mean, he lost both of his sons in mm-hmm. the war and Robert never had a son to lose. But it was such a mess and I just didn't get what we were supposed to take from it because, you know, anytime you have a scene, especially one that involves, you know, travel and a new home mm-hmm. and a new character, you would think... There's got to be a purpose to it, but it just seemed to be just a little venture, you know, a little run upon the train, another disappointment for Thomas. But that actor is a very famous actor, a very established actor, and I just can't believe they would hire him just for that. Oh, so I, maybe Thomas will scheme and go back well, and realize. You or... know, I don't see it as scheming, but, you know, Thomas is. His days at Downton are numbered, and everybody wants to get rid of him. And it does seem like that gentleman does need help. 
And maybe Thomas just needs to get over himself a little bit. I think people have been too mean in like, he's not going to be the boss of that house. He's not going to run that estate. But maybe he could be the butler and factotum and at least have a job. So I think something's going to happen. I guess he must have to go back there. But I don't think that scene was very well uh, signposted. I liked the nostalgic tinge, yes. too, when he talked about the ladies climbing the staircase. And the then royals have been there so many times. They, had, they used to have fun, but clearly that man is not having fun anymore. And he, and he did seem, at times, unfortunately, a bit dotty, which mm. means that it really wouldn't even be possible for Thomas to run the house sensibly. So Well, maybe that's know. the challenge. Maybe Thomas goes back to the house and says, you know what, we're going to get this house into house shape. Yeah, and, yeah ship and shape. Maybe that guy's still got a lot of money left. And I doubt spend. that, He's though. He's just spending that- it wrong? <laughs> you think it seems very unlikely. I mean, I guess maybe there are things that he could do. Maybe he, maybe Thomas can manage the selling of the big house or the moving out of the big house. Maybe there's going to be a national trust theme here or a plot. I'm not quite sure when the national trust was, was founded, which took over a lot of these big oh. houses and made them sort of for the nation. And because some people, you know, they still have a place to live, but they don't have the upkeep they just maybe have one or two rooms instead of the entire house, blah, blah, blah. Right. But that seems Times also... Are Times are changing. Well, but. just in case we never do see that actor again, maybe we should listen to a clip of him talking about the ladies climbing the staircase, which I found a very haunting image. I expect this was a wonderful house for entertaining. Oh, you should have seen it. They had such fun in those days. I... Do you know what I shall always remember? The women going up to bed at the end of the evening. Their faces lit by the flame from their candle. Yes, there's diamonds twinkling as they climbed up into the dark. So what else happened this week? Well, Edith went to the big city, met a potential suitor, had sort of a a madcap, his girl Friday type of, you know, let's, we're going to put out the paper. We got to stay up all night. She she, she was almost sort of like in a 90s (laughs) rom-com, I felt like, (laughs) in this episode with the man's like, I'm going to come help you. And then they're like doing the layout of the magazine and a montage. And then, you know, it felt, it felt like she could have been Kate Hudson kind of maybe. Uh, But it was fun. I really, I like Edith better now she's got a mission and a purpose and she seemed to enjoy it and come into her own and this this fella seems to like her and yep. I'm happy with I, I've, I've totally switched bandwagons to the Edith bandwagon the, right, e- on, the Edith Mobile and, and let I'm me move over the, and make some space for you yeah yeah I mean, well, while, while you do that you can make my chocolate <laughs> uh, that's, my, that's my favorite dowager countess <laughs> yes you can ask him about it while you make my chocolate <laughs> Um, so I, I was I was happy to see Edith uh, in this way. And this fella, he seems like a good fella. I yeah, like, I like him. I like he didn't presume that she right. would go to dinner with him. He, right. he felt like I'm just going to ask her for a drink and then see how things go. I like that. Uh, I do worry about Edith's social media strategy with this magazine. I mean, mm-hmm. they're putting it out for him. She should have been tweeting right the entire time. Look at our layout. So excited to share with you our upcoming layout for the next issue. That should have been all over Twitter. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think she got regrammed at all. Exactly. Uh, I don't think she was podcasting about putting out the issue, which she should have been done to. I mean, exactly. there's someone, there should have been a boom mic in there and yeah. someone just recording all of yeah. that to, yeah. to make maybe even like a video. Do you know what the CPMs are 
on pre on pre roll exactly. ads and videos, June. Exactly. So I feel like she's you know she's she's learning yeah. on the job, but she's got a long way to go in, in you know in terms of things like mobile first strategy. So totally. Uh, but but it's good. It's nice to see her, and I I would love to see her move to London with Marigold and and this nice man and become a powerful magazine editor, um, you know, shaping the gossip column. Exactly. And, and, and she's going to be a thought leader. She's like the I Tina Brown of the. <laughs> she's the Tina Brown of her decade. I do think that chap is a tiny bit below her station, but maybe oh. that's good because, like, he's an agent. He doesn't have a title. She's a write-on, but I suppose she's a younger daughter, and she's not going to get anything. So, except what she's um, inherited from her lover, uh, so maybe that's okay. Uh, and he does seem like a, a sweet guy, so that's what really counts. Sounds like you wanted to send him to the potting shed, June. <laughs> like kick him to the potting shed. This I just is... want him to be the engineer of the podcast, not the guy who's uh, you know doing it. I guess is what I'm saying. The talent. He's the only able-bodied, more or less, uh, you know, age-appropriate guy that has ever been put forward for Edith. So. Right. And, I, you know, I think we've talked about this before, about how this is the final season and we yes. feel like everything will be wrapped up with yes. a great big bow and the marriage plot yeah. is, you know, is, is key to that. And so, the, you know, what, we've only got five episodes left. This is probably going to be the guy. So I think we need to make our peace with him, June. Yes, I, I'm, I'm all for him. You but need like... to unlock the potting shed of your mind and let him out and let, <laughs> okay. him, let him frolic around. He's frolicking. He's frolicking. Oh, he's washing his hands. OK, it's all looking good. <laughs> There probably needs to be one more hurdle put before them, though. I'm thinking maybe there'll be some realization about Marigold, her ward, and all of that. But oh, it's right. all going to work still, out. That penny needs to drop, doesn't exactly. it? That's, he, exactly. She's still keeping that secret. Well, of course. So she'll have to reveal that to him, and that will cause him some consternation. And yeah. that will, yes, that will be the obstacle. Now, of course, we've got to get to the ongoing and definitely most fascinating thread in this season, which is, of course... Regional hospital bureaucratic issues. Exactly. In North Yorkshire. (laughs) In North Yorkshire. Local control of hospitals. I felt Mr. Clarkson showed admirable ability to um, examine his own motives, take yeah. a look at himself, check his privilege, mm-hmm. um, and and think about what, what, he, what he really desired here. And, and I liked the way Cousin Isabel, you know, she came out firing. She came out mm-hmm. guns blasting to the point the Dowager kind of said, were, were you drinking at luncheon? <laughs> which I love, which I'm now going to say to everyone exactly. all the time. You know, and, actually, you said that to me earlier, and I didn't know what you were talking about. My God, man, yes. Yes. Were you drinking at luncheon? No. I, in fact, if you may have noticed my raspy voice, I was drinking <laughs> At luncheon, by the way. It was yesterday's and, luncheon. <laughs> it was but yesterday's still. luncheon. I'm still feeling the effects. Gene, <laughs> I don't care about the, <laughs> the details of this of this hospital bureaucratic. I don't even know what they're fighting about, really. It sounds like I'm not sure what kind of control they're really seeding or what difference it's going to make at all. No. But it seems just like um, a milieu that has been created for the Dowager Countess to just get off a bunch of snaps, just exactly. snapping left and right. So there, what did we have? We had the... Uh, In my experience, second thoughts are highly overrated. Yeah, Which, so. like, it's, it's the way she tells it, I guess, because it's really not all of that, but... Or when Robert tells her that Cora disagrees with her and she just says, Cora is confused. <laughs> <laughs> and then she waves her cane in the air and says, on God! Exactly. Um, so, yes, wonderful opportunity for that. And, we, and we, we, as we know, we love anytime Isabel and the Dowager Countess take to their corners mm-hmm. and come out brawling. Mm-hmm. Well, it's everyone wins. Exactly, exactly. We also had some action this uh, episode. Well, we know that Anna and Bates had some action, which a little bit makes my stomach turn. But as Lady Mary said, well, the problem isn't Bates or whatever. The problem is Bates, June. The problem <laughs> is always been always Bates. Bates. Always Bates. And now they're going to have a child. And that child is also just going to live a life of woe and just constant death at its door and we're gonna thank god we don't need to watch it exactly you know i had a terrible thought 
which was, you know, when we had the whole nonsense with Spratt and the the, uh, the sort of invisible visitor at the Hiding door. Hiding the nephew in the potting shed. In the potting shed. That who we learned from the hapless policeman had been in York prison, mm. which I believe is where Bates had also been held. Please, God, let this not be a way to bring up one more time the putative murder of <laughs> whoever it was, uh. wherever it was. I've already locked it from my mind. It has to happen. We, we know what it has. I mean, they, there can't be pure happiness. They can't just be with child and have a happy, healthy baby. She's going to be stressed out and disturbed by some sort of reappearance of this <sighs> controversy. Blah, you know. blah, blah. Is there, any, is there anything good that we can talk about before this, uh, this episode comes uh, to an end? Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about it. So Branson and Sibby are back. Yes. Now, June, why did they just, why did they make this big deal of them going away if they're just going to bring them back in episode three? Why that bother I with that? I cannot answer. And then that when is they, my question. And then when they do it, they do it for like a minute and a half at the end. It's not like some big, it's like a minute and a half at the end of the episode. It's just oddly constructed. I mean, it's, I had, and I had sort of, I would made my peace with them being mm-hmm. off in Boston and I was done with them. They're gone and, oh, they're back. Now I need to, now I need to care about these guys again. And I, I mean, I like Branson. I, I think, I felt Branson always had a very interesting role at, right. the, at the manor, right. at the house. Right. Like right. He, he always had this nice role where he's in between he's and he empathized, between. With, empathized with both sides. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he had a spine and so he wouldn't he wouldn't just listen to people talk about the, the working class without getting his dander up. And I like that about him. I, he's been an appealing fellow since But we've start. already given, we've given that role to Daisy now. Have we? Yeah, you have know, we? And now Daisy is the voice of the working class. And yeah, the, you know, you're right. Can we, and can I pause for a moment just yes. to commend Molesley's beautiful, beautiful. Let's, in fact, June. Let's listen to Molesley talk about his vocation and 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 how he has passed it along to Daisy. Well, there she is now. Lovely. You won't regret it. She's more than equal to the task. In fact, I think she'll do you credit. I think she'll do you credit, Mr. Molesley. You seem to have been an excellent influence in all this. Well, I believe that education is the gate that leads to any future worth having. Have you missed your vocation? I've missed everything, Mr. Dawes. But Daisy doesn't have to. What a, what a fine chap Mosley has become as the seasons have progressed. It's true, and, and his sadness is palpable, isn't it? The, the, the possibilities, the opportunities that were denied to him but uh, he's doing his best to make sure they're not denied to all, and, and that's mm. that's to be uh, that's worthy of much praise and, and love, I would say, on our part. He is such a such a wistful man. He wears a, he wears a cloak of sadness. He does. That he carries around with him. <laughs> it really gets in the way of his uh, livery, but he makes it work. He makes it work. Uh, maybe I'm just being a little bit oversensitive, but I have a slight concern when Robert mentioned his indigestion. Foreshadowing. Could it be? Could it be? I mean, we've had so many over the years at Downton Abbey. We've had so many deaths that didn't happen and deaths that did happen. Uh, you know, he, is somebody going to go to death's door only to revive in time to turn up at the wedding? Or what's this going to be? Or mm. did he really just have indigestion? And Well, no, there's no such thing as, as mere indigestion in Downton Abbey. You know, the Chekhovian law, if, you're, if you show indigestion mm-hmm. in, the, in episode three, well, then there, you need to have someone die in episode eight. We're going to tie everything up in a bow. I think I believe Edith will get married. I believe Mary will get married. But there, we might need to tinge all this with some sort of sadness, some mm-hmm. sort of regret. And it can't just be all roses and beautiful brooches. And I think maybe Robert is the price we pay for well, those weddings. And if we have two weddings, maybe we need a funeral. All right. Well, Seth, we have to go back to Liverpool 
uh, until the next episode airs. I've got the I've got the key. Don't worry. Oh, June. good. Thank goodness. I'll start. I'll start your chocolate. I'll get there <laughs> first and start your chocolate. Thank you, Denka. Uh, we will come back and we'll be with you to discuss season six, episode four, next week. Until then, Trimpy. Until then, Donk. <laughs> <laughs>